Hi, this is Pastor Beth from Gate City Vineyard Church in Greensboro, North Carolina, and you are listening to this week's sermon. I hope you enjoy it and that it helps you to know Jesus just a little better. So the season of Lent, for those of you um, who may always wonder what is Lent, I've had many people actually ask me what is Lent, and it starts at Ash Wednesday, it's the 40 days between Ash Wednesday and the Easter weekend, Good Friday and Easter, and traditionally in churches all over the world, um, they celebrate this idea of Lent as a time of preparation of your heart to, to the most important moments in the history of the world, and certainly in our Christian faith, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it all points to. It's all going towards that, and that's what we're remembering during this season. It can be a time of repentance. It can be time of releasing uh, things to the Lord. It can be time of receiving. We actually have a wall over here, which kind of uh, is a visual for you. This is something that's available all through Lent, and in fact, even after we do communion and we're doing prayer time, you can go over to the wall. It's an idea of that on the left is anything you want to release to the Lord. And there's little papers and, and things that you can draw with. You could draw it. You could write it. Things that you, you want to give up. Some people give up things for Lent. They give up chocolate and, you know, Netflix or whatever it is um, on that side. But it doesn't have to be that either. It can be just I want to give up um, striving. <laughs> I want to give up being over busy and never having time for my family. I want to give up anger. Uh, so it can be all kinds of things that we want to release to the Lord. Uh, and then on the other side, um, we want to receive. And so it may be that this season you say, I want to receive um, this from the Lord. I want to receive more peace. I want to receive healing for a certain thing. Uh, and so we can write those as well and put those up. And there's also a little station for kids. So have your kids come do it and get, teach them that they can release things to the Lord and they can also receive from him. So that's going to be up all during Lent. Um, and so we're excited about that. So that's kind of the idea about Lent, that it's a significant moment. It is the most important moment uh, that of the Christian life is, is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We're meant to remember it. That's why he gave us an instituted communion for us to remember the body and the blood, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And the whole reason for this is because he wants to invite us to his table. He has a table set for us, and he wants to invite us to it. I want to read to you from Revelations 3.20. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So what an image of us that God is wanting to invite us to a table. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to eat with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to be present in your life and wants you to, to know him. That's, that's what he's inviting us to, whoever you are, wherever you are. And so each week in Lent, we're going to be exploring what does that mean? What do we receive when we come to the table? We receive love. We receive forgiveness. We receive family. We receive community, we receive joy, we receive healing. So we're going to be talking about those all during the weeks of Lent as we, as we go forward toward Good Friday and Easter. And every week we'll be taking communion together. And as was already been pointed out, um, as a fun way uh, of celebrating our diversity and who we are, we're having people bring in breads from their own culture or background or, or what, just what they grew up with. And so please feel free to sign up for that. Um, so we're going to uh, share these two breads today. But it's an opportunity again for us to share together, that as we come together, this is our unity. This is what we come together. This is what makes us one. Otherwise, what would we all be doing here <laughs> other than maybe having a social time? But why would we be here except that Jesus has forgiven all of us our sins? <laughs> and Jesus has poured grace upon all of us. And so we join together in that grace. That's what brings us together. That is the center point. Jesus be the center. He's the center. 
Um, and so we're also, as you may have noticed, set up in a circle. And uh, somebody said to me, I'm going, and I said to me, I hope you're going to explain why you're doing this. <laughs> and so um, I know it puts us a little out of our comfort zone. We're all like, where's my seat? You know, I have my seat, my spot. And now I moved your spot. So um, I understand. That's a little off-putting. Um, but the idea is to remind us that we're a community, that we're all together serving the Lord, and he's our center. It's a very visual thing, and it reminds you that the other people are here. Because normally, we're all what? We're all like sitting like this, right? We see Charles in the band, and we see me. Uh, you can almost forget that there's anybody else here. <laughs> but now you can't forget it, can you? <laughs> I mean, you guys are seeing these guys, and these guys are seeing these guys. Like, you're looking at each other. So lean into that. That's precious, that you know each other, and you're one, you're a family, we're a body of Christ, and we need each other. Think about the person that you're seeing right across from you and think, I need that person. I need Larry. I'm looking right across him. I need every one of you. We need each other. And so this is a visual for us that may put us a little out of our comfort zone. My, uh, my introverted friends don't love this, you know, like people are looking at me, but don't worry about it. Like we're, you're so loved here, it doesn't matter. And you can sit as far on the back as you want, but um, this is a place of, of love. This is a place of safety and we're a community. And so I love this. We're going to do this all during Lent. We will put it back for Easter so as not to freak out all the visitors that will come on Easter. Um, but uh, we're going to do this for this time. And so now, what's at the center of the table? If we're gathered around the table, come to the table, what's at the center? The cross. The cross. That's what Jesus did for us. We wouldn't be here, as I said, without the cross. And um, there's a little chapel uh, on the way to my, when I come to the work, it's um, a little chapel at St. Pius Catholic Church. I don't know if any of you are familiar with the chapel. And uh, they have a little chapel on the side that you can go in any time during the day. And so uh, it's open. I had a conversation once with the Monsignor there, and I said, you know, can non-Catholics use the chapel? And he said, yes, of course. So I actually will stop there frequently and um, to have like a little time of prayer. It's a very restful place for me. It's a different place. It's got kneelers. I love kneelers. So I kneel there. Um, it's just quiet. There's almost never anybody there. And so I love going into that chapel. And so I went in the other day, and of course, at the front of the chapel, like any Catholic chapel, is a crucifix, right? I think I even took a picture of it. That's the front of it. It's a very beautiful stone background in this crucifix. Now, I know as Protestants, we don't do crucifixes, right? We have plain, nice crosses. And the reason we do that is because we want to remind ourselves what? That Jesus is no longer dead on the cross, that he's risen, that he is alive. And so, you know, that's why Protestants have the plain cross, now, I want you to know that Catholics also believe that he's not still on the cross, okay? <laughs> they also believe that he rose from the dead. That's part of their uh, theology as well. Um, but the reason that they have crucifixes is as a way to remind us of the cost of what Jesus did, that he died for us, and so that we would remember, just as he told us to remember the body and the blood. And so I now and then like to look at a crucifix. It kind of centers me a little bit, um, it kind of makes me remember what he did. It's hard for me sometimes to look at a crucifix. Sometimes it feels painful to even imagine what was going on in that moment, um, the pain he was going through and the suffering. And I, you know, it hurts my heart sometimes to look at a crucifix, but also sometimes it reminds me of just how much God loves me 
And um, I was there this week. I was praying about this message. I knew it was going to be about the love of God, and I really wasn't quite sure where God wanted to take it. And I, I felt on my way, I was actually headed here because I was a little late, wanted to talk with Kay. I had stuff to do. You know how it is. I had things to do. So I was ready to go, and um, I just had this strong impression, go to the chapel. And I was like, I don't want to go to the chapel. I got to get to work. Like, <laughs> I want to get going, right? And so I was driving, and I almost felt like my wheel turning, like, <laughs> like don't, don't, don't go that way. Go, that, go to the chapel. And I was finally, literally in the car, I said, okay, okay, I'm going. <laughs> and so I went to the chapel, and the second I sat down and I looked up at this crucifix, the Lord spoke to me. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. I mean, that was horrendous and horrific and painful, and he didn't have to do that. First of all, we didn't deserve it. If you've been on the Bible chat and reading the Bible, the Old Testament, or if you paid attention at all last fall when I talked about the minor prophets, um, you know, the God's people just over and over and over and over and over again keep defying all his laws, doing all the things they're not supposed to do, keep rebelling against him over and over again. And you know what? It's not gotten a lot better thousands of years later, has it? We keep doing that. So he didn't have to do it. It's not like we deserved this, that he would do that for us. It's also um, not that he needed us. I mean, he loves us, but we're not all that important, really. <laughs> the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is fully complete in and of itself, he, in and of himself. He doesn't, they don't need us, okay? He could have thrown an asteroid at Earth and started all over again. And nobody would have said he was wrong to do that, right? I mean, it's not that he needed us. We didn't deserve it. And Jesus also had the power to stop it at any moment. If you'll recall, when his followers tried to stop them from arresting him, what did he say to them? He said, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? He didn't have to go to the cross. And I don't know about you, but if I had a choice between that and not doing that, I think I would not do that. But he went anyway. He chose to stay on the cross for you and me. And there is only one explanation for that. There is only one explanation for why Jesus would go to the cross for us. And it's his love. It's that he loves you. And he loves me more than anything. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to be in relationship with me. That's how much he loves us, is he went to the cross for us. And we, you know, it becomes a thing as Christians that we've heard so many times we, we forget to think about it. It becomes words we've heard before. But I want you to sit with this for a minute, how much God loves you that he went through all of that for you and he would do it again if he had to. He would do that for you. And so I want us, as we are going to be taking communion every week for the next several weeks, I want us not to let it become just this ritual thing that, you know, we do the bread, we do the wine, we know the thing, but that every time you would take up the bread and you'd, take, and you'd think of the body and the blood of Christ and you would think, oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. It's for you. It's for you to remember the love of God for you. Amen? Amen.
And so that's what we're going to be doing on this season, and we're going to be receiving the love of God at the table. I want to talk just for a few minutes more about a few things about the love of God um, at the table that we receive at the table of Christ. Um, What can we say about it? First is that the love is extended to all people. It's for all of us. Okay, no one's left out. Not one person is left out. Um, no matter who you are, where you have come from, your background, rich or poor, um, you know, put together or all messed up, sinner or saint, you are welcome at the table. He invites you to the table. And um, you know, some of you may have seen the Super Bowl ads, which have created you know quite a, num- a bunch of stir. Uh, the ones that are he gets us, and they showed pictures, and I just threw up one picture of it of pe- of of, a, of different people washing the feet of other people, and they had many different combinations of people. Some people that were you know addicts and and whatever were in other kinds of trouble. Some of the combos were people that just are on opposite sides of different issues and so on. And so they showed these pictures of, of, and at the end, the tagline was, Jesus didn't teach hate, he washed feet. He washed people's feet. And this has created a huge stir for people because they, um, uh, unfortunately, uh, Christians even, because they felt that it sent a message that Jesus would condone sin um, and that he didn't really wash everybody's feet. He only washed his disciples' feet, right, at the Last Supper. And... I just, you know, whatever you thought about the ads, I just want to say two things about that. First of all, Jesus washed Judas' feet. Okay, it's clear in the scripture. And by that time, Judas had already decided to betray Christ. And Jesus knew that. So he washed his feet knowing that he had already gone away from him and was planning his demise. Probably one of the worst sins anybody could commit, right? To betray the Son of God. So he washed his feet. And second of all, I just think if we have any, if it makes us upset at all to think about Jesus washing just anybody's feet, anybody at all, if that makes us upset, then I think we just have lost sight of what love is. What's love? It is, what's God's love? It's unconditional love. And what does unconditional mean? It means without conditions. It means it doesn't matter what you've done. Or if you keep doing it and do it the rest of your life, it doesn't matter. He still loves you. He would still wash your feet. Of course, this is Jesus' love for us. It is beyond anything that we understand as humans. And so there are dozens and dozens of scriptures about this. Of course, does he want us to leave our life of sin and rebellion against him? Of course, yes. But does he love us even if we don't? Amen. The scriptures talk about um, God loving us even in our sin, even in our rebellion. Again, we've seen it over and over again in our readings of the people of Israel who keep walking away from him. And this is what the psalmist said, in the midst of all that, in the midst of all the sin that people were doing against uh, and had done against against, um, the Lord, in Psalm 145, what does the psalmist say about God? The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and rich in love. He is good to all He has compassion on all he has made. That's all, all, regardless of what you've done, even in your sin. And God does correct us in our sin. He does. Um, In the right time when we're willing to listen, he guides us and starts to correct us and shows us, but yet he still shows us his love in the midst of our sin. I read from Proverbs 3. It says, the Lord disciplines those he what? Loves as a father the son he delights in. He wouldn't discipline us if he didn't love us. That's a sign of his love. And as I've said before, the cross points to the love of Christ. 
Over and over again, we see this in Scripture. No matter who we are, 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God. It's nothing to do with how good you are. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And this one in Romans gets me every time, five Chapter 5, 6 to 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, somebody might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It couldn't be any clearer. Could it be any clearer? Who needs, what more needs to be said? You're loved right in the middle of your sin. And yes, he wants to call you out of it. He wants to call you into relationship with him, to start to walk with him, to start to become more like him. That is his goal and his desire for you. And so the scriptures are clear on that too, that we're given a choice. He's pouring his love on you right now. But we have a choice what to do with it. We have a choice whether we're going to receive that love and then begin to walk in that love, which will then allow him to sometimes correct us and to some train us into more righteousness and more living that pleases him. But also, you know, will we receive the love and walk in it or are we going to reject the love? We have a choice. It's a very clear choice. He's given us the gift of free will as humans. And it's as simple as that. We're always told in the scriptures to choose Life, and we do that by believing in Jesus, his son. And so John 3:16, which we've all heard many, many times before, um, but I'm going to go all the way to verse 18. He says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. So whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. We're given a choice. We're given a choice. Um, And, you know, the unfortunate matter is, you know, all of us tend to sin in some way. We tend to rebellion. It is, uh, we don't, we're not automatically reconciled to God. We know that. We know from the first couple, Adam and Eve, they showed it to us. Um, it's certainly true in us, and yet God is always working on, beha- on our behalf to help us to make the right choice if we will just listen to him. So he's always working on our behalf. I love this concept. Theologians call it prevenient grace, and it means that he is always pouring his grace out upon you even before you have received him, before you've even acknowledged him, without you even knowing it. He's pouring grace upon you. He's, he's pouring grace upon your family members that don't know him. He's pouring grace upon people in your neighborhood who don't know him. He's always pouring his grace upon you because he wants you to come to him. And he's working in our lives. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus is stalking you. He is there on you. He knows where you are and he is right there with you. He's talking to you. He wants you to come to him. And so he puts grace upon grace upon us our whole lives so that we will start to see the glory of God and start to sense that there's something more out there which will then turn us to him. And that's what he does. And that's what he's done in all of us who have come to him and he will continue to do it today for any who have not. The invitation is out there. The invitation is there. Come to him, all you are heavy 
laden and he will give you rest. He's reaching out right now. If you don't know him, say yes to him today. Turn your heart to him. He loves you. He loves you. And here's the amazing thing about that love is that the love of God is for us no matter what we choose. No matter what we choose. But oh, what joy when one of us comes into his presence and says, yes, Jesus. Yes, I want to know you. I want to live for you. I want to become more like you. Help me, Jesus. I need you. Oh, what joy. It says there's rejoicing in all heaven when that happens. Let's pray that for ourselves. Let's pray that for our family members. So the cross is for all. It's for all. Nobody's excluded. Everyone is invited to this table. The cross is also a love for any time. Um, it's never too late to come to him. There's no time that's too soon, too late. Um, I pointed out we get, to, we get to choose his love, and we have free will, and we have our whole life to choose. We can go all the way to the end if we have to um, before we choose him. And I, I, um, I don't advocate for that. <laughs> I remember as a teenager when I was starting to discern that maybe this is all true um, and so I should probably follow God. I was like, okay, so I probably should follow him, but I don't want to quite yet because I, I want to have fun first, you know. I was 15, um, and so I, my impression was that if you came to Christ, then all the fun's gone, right? You can't do any of the fun stuff. So I wanted to do a little bit of that, and I remember saying to God, I'm going to come to you, but not quite yet. I don't advocate that position, <laughs> It's a little risky, but also it sets up within yourself such conflict because when you know the truth and you're not living according to it, that's, that sets up chaos in your soul. It's not good. And so uh, that didn't last too long. Actually, I ended up coming to Jesus pretty quick after that. I couldn't, I couldn't take the, the cognitive dissonance in my brain. Um, and so I, I went ahead and gave my heart to him. Just release your soul to God. But truly, it's never too late. One of the harder verses for churchy people to embrace is the parable of the workers in the vineyard in Matthew 20. It's a long passage, so I'm not going to read you the whole thing. But the, the essence of it is this. A landowner has some land, and he hires a bunch of people at the crack of dawn to work his land. And he tells them, I'll pay you a denarius. Okay, you each get a denarius for working my land. And then he goes out, and at about 9 o'clock in the morning, he finds some more workers, and he hires them. And he says, okay, I'm going to hire you. So you come now and um, work for me. I'll pay you, a, pay you a fair wage. And then uh, at noon, he hires a bunch more workers, and he tells them, come work for me. I'll pay you a fair wage. And then even at 5 p.m., he hires a bunch more people. He says, for the rest of the day, you can work for me. I'll pay you a fair wage. And then at the end of the day, he pays them all, and he gives them all a denarius each. Now, who's annoyed about that? <laughs> the people that were there since the crack of dawn, they're like, hey, we've been looking, working all day, and you, know, you gave us the same as these other people. And I just love what Jesus says in the parable that the landowner answered. He said to them, Did you agree, didn't you agree to work for a denarius? This is what I told you you would get. And are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. And so some of us have a hard time with that, right? That we can be a Christian all our life, and that, that mass murderer who's sitting in jail for life can find Jesus in jail, and he might be sitting in heaven next to us. Can we take that? 
are we, can we rejoice in that, that God's grace even extends to such a person as that? People who lived a life of rejection from God could, in the last moments, come into the kingdom. And they get, they get the denarius. I cannot help but think about my dad when I think of this story. And I know I've told a little bit about my dad, and some of you know the whole story, but I'm going to tell you the whole thing now because it just is exactly what we're talking about here. That my dad was an atheist my whole life. I came into it in his 30s and was that all the way through to his late 80s when he passed. And he was, you know, strong about it. So he drove us crazy all of our lives telling us how to be a Christian was, you know, a crutch for weak people and how uh, religion has done so much terrible stuff in the world and how Jesus is not really real and I'm not sure he even existed. Like he just would just go on and on and sometimes we would try to engage him in discussion and read books together, but he'd always have an answer back. He just always, always, always just drove us crazy with all this stuff uh, against our faith, right? For years and years and years. And then um, at the end of his life, he was in his late 80s, and he was, he was in the nursing home. It was, he was uh, dying, and Paul and I went to visit him. And now there had been some indications that things had softened a little bit. We'd, been, we'd prayed with him. We got kind of bold, just prayed with him. Paul prayed the Lord's Prayer with him, and he actually prayed it out loud back because he knew it from his young days as a little Catholic boy. So we thought maybe something was happening in him. We didn't, weren't sure what, but he'd never say it. Um, and then we went to visit him, and it was actually just only a couple weeks before he passed, and we were going to be away, and we didn't know if he'd still be alive when we got back. And I said to Paul, we got to do something. Like, we got to figure out a way to pray with him, at least to try to get him into the kingdom. And so as we get there, Paul says to me, ask him if he wants to be with Jesus forever. It's kind of an interesting way to put it, and um, I feel like it was an anointed question. So I remember looking at my dad, and he had woken up. He was lucid. And I said to him, so dad, do you want to be with Jesus forever? And he looked at me and he said, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and I was like, did he just say that? And then, and then I just wanted to be sure. I said, okay, so do you want me to pray with you to receive Jesus, to accept Jesus into your heart? And he said, yes. So I prayed with him, and I prayed that his sins would be forgiven, and that he'd have Jesus in his heart, and that he'd meet with, you know, be with Jesus in heaven someday. And I said, amen, and he said, amen. And then he closed his eyes, and he went off to sleep. And I looked over at Paul, and he looked at me, and we were like, okay, that works for me. <laughs> like, we just couldn't, you know, couldn't believe it. And, and, you know, part of me was like, that little son of a gun. I mean, he drove us crazy for all those years. And now at the last second, he slides into the kingdom. He got the full denarius for like five minutes work. But you know, I couldn't be sad about that at all. I couldn't be mad about that at all. I was so incredibly delighted. And we, we actually like to joke about the fact that he, you know... The, him showing up in heaven and him being more surprised than anybody that he was there. <laughs> um, so, hallelujah. It's never too late. And don't give up on your family members. Don't give up on your atheist friends, the ones who drive you crazy with all their statements. Just keep praying. And it's never too late for you either. Whatever it is you're going through and whatever it is you feel is keeping you from God in some way, it's not too late for any of us. And he's going to work with us all the way to the end. He's with us to the end of this journey, to the last breath. Hallelujah.
The last thing um, I want us to say, to say about Jesus' love on the cross um, is that it's a very personal love, and it's a personal love with power, that he is full of power. This is not the kind of love that's like Valentine's Day love with hearts and flowers and chocolates and just kind of a, you know, a shallow love that the minute things get hard, things are going to, you know, fall, they'll fall away. Um, it's not the kind of love that, um, you know, gives up when things get hard. He's here to go on the journey with you all the way. That's the kind of love he has. And, you know, I know some of us haven't experienced a whole lot of that kind of love here on earth. And uh, some of us have had people who claim to love us. And then, you know, once things got hard, they were gone. We've had people who have said, I'm, you know, I love you. And then they turn around and betray you. And I know some of us have loved people who we have tried to love us, but they're just so full of their own dysfunction, they can't really love in a healthy way, and maybe we can't love in a healthy way. So we've never really experienced that kind of unconditional, healthy, beautiful love. And that's hard. That's sad. We want that love as humans, don't we? And I want to say to you that if you have found that love on earth in one person or or two people, treasure that, because not everybody gets that. Not everybody experiences that. But I want you to know that whether or not you ever find that in the human realm, that you have a God, a Savior, who loves you and who is with you all the way to the end. He's passionate about you. He went to the cross for you. He will be with you from from highs and lows to the depths of the depths and the highest of heights. He is there for you. He is for you. He loves you. And he wants to fill up that hole that might be there from the lack of the human love that we might have. That's the love he has for you. And you know what? He's got the power to do it. He's got the power love. He had all the power to get himself off the cross, but instead he used it to raise up from the dead. Writer of Ephesians calls that the incomparably great power for us who believe. See, he gives it to us. It says this, that power in you, he's talking about the power that's in you right now, if you believe in Jesus and you receive Jesus into your heart, then he says that power in you is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms. So that power to be transformed, to be loved, to know that you're loved, to be secure in who you are in Christ, that power is there within you right now. He wants to give that to you. He wants to give that to you. So do you doubt that God could do anything with a person like you? Do you doubt that he could do anything with you that maybe you're just unlovable, you're unsolvable, you're too sinful, your problems are too big? I got news for you. God is crazy about you. He's crazy about you. He's crazy about you. He's so glad he made you. And he wants to be with you. He's like that star-crossed lover who will drive for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours just to spend like a few minutes with his loved one. That's how God is for you. He'd move mountains for you. He'd break down every boundary, anything that got in the way of you. He's, he's, he is passionate for you. It's a passionate love. He is for you. He is not against you. He holds on tight through the darkest night. He's working to set you free from what binds you and keeps you from him so that you might come to him and fall more in love with him. He will never, ever leave you or forsake you. His love is an everlasting love. Is there anyone who's getting this today? Are you getting that you're loved? Are you getting how much he loves you? And so I want us to think about that love today now as we come to the table. He didn't need to do it. We didn't deserve it. 
He had the power to stop it, but he went to the cross for you and me anyway. Why? Because he delights in you and he loves you and he wants you at his table. He's invited you. You've got a personal gold-embossed invitation to come to his table. His table. If you're looking for love somewhere else, as the song goes, you're looking for love in all the wrong places because it's right here. It's right here. Seek him first. Even amidst your human loves, seek him first and his love first. He'll fill you up. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. If you would like to learn more about Gate City Vineyard, you can find out more at our website at gatecityvineyard.com. Have a wonderful and joyful day.